Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. But you know what? When you and I take up this call and we talk about abortion, if we speak about it in church, we're told we're too political. If we speak about it in the political arena, we're told we're too religious. If we speak about it in the world of the media, it's too disturbing. In the world of business, it's too distracting. In the world of education, it's too controversial. In the streets, it's too disruptive. So abortion, if abortion is wrong, where do we go to say so? We go into the churches, we go into politics, into the media, into business, into education, and into the streets. Some churches, some churches haven't wanted wanted to get involved in political hassles with the government. So they've been silent on abortion. They didn't want to get involved in hassles from the government. They didn't want to take the fight to the government. So now with the HHS mandate, the government took the fight to them. And when it comes to that mandate, we've got a simple message for this administration. We will obey God rather than men. There we are. Friends, welcome. I'm going to be with you tonight. I'm going to be with you many nights, many days, many years. Ending abortion. That's goal number one. And in the process of that, answering your questions about many, many things. So welcome to our broadcast tonight. We're going to pray, and I want you to know that right here next to me, so excuse me for putting my eyes out of your direct line of sight, I'll be seeing the questions, the comments. I am, I hope you all watch my daily diary, by the way, I am an open book. I tell you on that daily diary, the only reason it hasn't been updated for a few days is that I'm up up here in New York visiting with my parents, but I'm going back to Florida uh, tomorrow morning, and we're going to tape the daily diary covering this this past week. Never have done more media in uh, this uh, number of days than I have this past week. Let's see, the new comments are down at the bottom. Okay, very good. And wow, lots of them coming in. So I'm going to give you a few introductory remarks, and then just want to answer your uh, your questions. Open book. We have nothing to hide. We never have had anything to hide. Any of you know Italian? You guys know some Italian, right? Oh, Cheryl, thanks for the prayers for my dad. He's in a rehab center here uh, near our house. And uh, a few more days, I think, at least, uh, as he gets stronger and then be able to come home. So thanks for the prayers for him. But how many of you know some Italian? I'm going to say three words in Italian. I'll tell you why I said them uh, in a moment. Que sia generoso. Que sia generoso. I can still hear, in fact, I can see him standing in his black cassock, Archbishop Celso Morga. Tu sei famoso, Pavone, he said to me when I walked in to the office at the Vatican, at the Congregation for the Clergy, now called the Dicastery for Clergy. Tu sei famoso, tu non sei sospeso. Okay, so what he was saying to me, the second in command at the Congregation for Clergy, was, you're not suspended. You're famous. You're not suspended. I told your bishop, que sia generoso, 
that he should be generous. I told your bishop that he should be generous. There's this guy at the Vatican talking. In giving you the permission you need and the permission you have requested to do your pro-life work with Priests for Life. Que sea generoso. In what universe does generoso mean niente? Niente in Italian means nothing. In what twisted universe does a request from the Vatican come to a bishop and the word change from generoso to niente. Friends, you tell me. I, I don't know. But that's what I've been living through. You see, many have been commenting on this situation. The comments of support <laughs> these are from people who have supported us, so many of you, and I appreciate it, and it's a source of tremendous encouragement. But anytime there's a public event like this, especially in the church, oh, what a chorus of ignorance rises up. People commenting on the situation, having read about it for what, an hour, maybe? And commenting as if, A, they lived through it for 21 years, B, they can read minds, C, they can judge the motives of the heart. D, that they know the canon law of the church from A to Z inside out. E, that they can read the mind and heart of the bishop. F, that they can read the mind and heart of the people in the Vatican. G, that they can sort out the complexities of a canonical process, multifaceted series of processes that have gone on for over two decades. Where, where do these people get their arrogance? I mean, where do these people come from? We're talking about Catholics, some of them. I think part of the problem is, you know, they've got a newsletter to write or they've got a magazine to fill. Um, and they just need to put words in there like real quick. They need to appear to be experts on every piece of breaking news that comes out. That's why I always tell my staff, you know, we, we obviously we have, a, you know, we do pro-life news. We have a broadcast outlet and, you know, we're putting out emails all the time. I always tell my staff, they come running into my office. There's some kind of breaking news that happened in something in the world, something in the pro-life movement, something in the church. I say, Father Frank, we have to make a comment. We have to make a comment. And I say, well, what happened? Well, we have a little bit of information here. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. A little bit of information is not enough. What happened? And, you know, there's always a tension with, with newsmakers. There's a, there's, a, there's a creative tension between the need to get out the story right away, because otherwise news isn't news if it's not new, and they want everyone wants to be ahead of everybody else because that's part of the business, right? If you find a news outlet that gives you the news when it's really new and you're it's the first place that you hear it, you're going to gravitate to go there. So it's a business competition. But then that's in creative tension with the need to know what in the world you're talking about. 
and knowing what you're talking about takes a little bit of time. And so now you risk not being the first and the news not being as new as it is in the competing news outlet. You see the problem? And, and so people are, I'm always facing that tension myself, but I, 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 I want to make sure if I'm going to comment on breaking news, that I know what in the world I'm talking about. And, and, and if the news is about a person, guess who I want to talk to? That person. Now, my cell phone seems to be working pretty well. I've been getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts. I haven't even been able to return all of them. I'm getting close. But this is so great when people call me. They call, they email, they they write. And they ask questions. See, what, what you want to get here, I'm going to give you an example. It just happened to me. Then we'll pray and then we'll go into some other comments. <laughs> In the comments that I get about this situation, the punctuation that I'm looking for most eagerly is a question mark. When you, and this is a good tip for those of you that are here who are our supporters and defenders, when you get a comment on this from somebody, look for the question mark. That's a sign that the person has some goodwill and some awareness of the fact that they don't know what is going on? Well, it's amazing some of the articles that people write. Gosh, the uh, where does the ignorance come? Where does the arrogance? It's a combination of ignorance and arrogance. Ignorance by itself isn't, you know, such a, it's not necessarily a harmful thing if one combines it with the humility of realizing that they don't know. And then they throw a few question marks into the mix. But when you get this arrogant ignorance, and then people just spew forth again as if they're experts in mind. Oh, they've lived through it. They've lived through it. Now, I just had correspondence before I came on here with a um, influential uh, news editor. And this is not what I'm about to say is not his fault, but it just goes to show how when somebody starts with the ignorant arrogance, it takes on a life of its own. He was asking me, he was looking over the record, and I hope you all read the record of the, the events that have transpired these last 21 years at frfrankpavone.com. He said, so where was the mass in question, in New York or in Florida? Where was the mass in question? Uh, does, that, does that question make any sense to you? I wasn't sure what he was talking about. Where was the mass in question? So I wrote back and I said, uh, what mass are you uh, are you talking about? Oh, somebody is asking, Ashley, how are you managing financially? Thanks for asking that. Whew. People giving through the roof. Through the roof. That's a good. That's a, that's one of the ways, of course, of uh, showing the showing the support. Um, that's not to say we don't need that support. We always do, but 
we've seen a good, strong um, expression of support financially. So where was the mass in question? Well, what mass are you talking about? And the person said, the aborted baby mass. Oh, okay. So now it goes back to the story of when I showed the baby on the altar. And, well, on the table, okay, on which I had done six videos in the six previous days leading up to the elections of 2016, because I was doing a series of videos about different aspects of the election. And the aspect of the election video where I was showing an aborted baby was very simple. Tell me if this makes any sense to you. The baby was killed because abortion was legal. The babies like that would be protected if laws were in place protecting them, or at least more of them would be protected. And then laws don't come out of the sky or they don't come from wishful thinking. And they don't come from preaching either. Laws come from lawmakers. And where do lawmakers come from? Lawmakers come from elections, which means they come from you. So my purpose in that video was to stand up in front of people like you and say, we over here need to protect these babies over here. How do we get there? How do we get to their protection? Well, we elect lawmakers willing to pass laws to protect those babies. You mean to tell me the church is not supposed to talk about that? Oh, but we're supposed to put our heads in the sand and let's, hey, everybody, let's make believe that we can be neutral here. See, this is one of the sicknesses in the church today. Let's make believe that we can be neutral here. We're going to talk about the need to protect these babies, but we're not going to tell you who's killing them. Did you hear me? We're not going to tell you who's killing them. Shh. Don't tell them who's killing them. Don't tell them who's responsible. We're going to solve the problem. We're going to solve the problem by making believe that we can't talk about who's responsible for the problem. Oh, I had a laugh the other day when somebody told me, oh, yeah, Father Frank, when I heard about the this uh, this uh, uh, action that the, the Vatican took saying that you had to be um, uh, dismissed from the priesthood, which, by the way, I, I still don't have the piece of paper. Can you believe it? Let's see. December 17th, I heard about it from the Catholic News Agency. December 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, yeah, 24th, 25th. Today's the 26th. I got the piece of paper, right? No, I didn't. I got instructions. I got, um, oh, I don't know, guidance, something, some kind of signature somewhere. Nothing. You have as much paper about on this as I do. So going back to what was said, this 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 uh, this person said. Um, said, yeah, you know, this person wrote to me who's one of your critics and, and said, well, that will shut him up. Are there words in the English language to convey the ridicule, um, the absurd laughter that that comment 
deserves. If a person in their wildest imagination thinks that any action by anybody anywhere on the face of the earth is going to get me to keep quiet about speaking the things that are true and right and just, my friends, they are completely out of their minds. Again, let me say it very clearly. If anyone in the government, if anyone in the church, if anyone in any city, town, village, hamlet, anywhere on earth thinks for a minute that anything they can do, anything anybody else can do, any threat they can level, any punishment they can impose, any possession they can take away, any position they can take away, any title, any popularity, any power, any access, anything to keep me and those who are allied with me and so many of you from speaking up for what is right, for speaking up for those that have no voice, and for calling out those who are killing them, boy, have they got another thing coming. And boy, are there no words in the world, no words in the world, to describe how utterly absurd it is for them to come to that conclusion. So I said to this uh, editor, uh, I said, it wasn't a mess. When I showed the aborted baby on the altar, it wasn't a mess. First of all, I was wearing a suit jacket. When's the last time, those of you that are that go to mass, those of you that are Catholic, when's the last time um, you saw a priest say mass in his suit jacket? You say mass, you put on an alb, then you put a cincture on, then you put on a stole, then you put a chasuble over your head. You have vestments when you say a mass. Now, Catholics know this, but then, you know, they take a stupid pill when it comes time to criticize pro-lifers. And, um, I mean, it is, uh, Henry, I agree with you. Henry said, I'm so disgusted with, with, with what some leaders are doing. I mean, it, it's just, it is really beyond words. You know, um, read to you a quote from Pope Francis. This was something I prepared today. Uh, it's a great quote. Let me just read it to you. Listen to this. And, and this is just to wrap up the, 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 what I'm saying about people who think they know what in the world is going on and they have absolutely no idea. Or they think they have an idea who I am. And I'll address that a little bit more. They think they have an idea who we are, the pro-life movement, they think they have an idea what Priests for Life is, is about. <clears throat> and Pope Francis says, you know, you have to encounter people to know them. Let me read this. He, he put these words out uh, back in um, just two years ago, just, just actually, actually, yeah, about two years ago, in his message for the 2021 World Communications Day. There's a certain day of the year that we talk about the world communications. And, and listen to these words. 
The invitation to come and see, this is an invitation Jesus himself gave, right, to those who were asking about, about him. Uh, the invitation to come and see, which was part of those first moving encounters of Jesus with the disciples, is also the method for all authentic human communication. In order to tell the truth of life that becomes history, it is necessary to move beyond the complacent attitude that we already know certain things. Instead, we need to go and see them for ourselves, to spend time with people, to listen to their stories, and to confront reality, which always in some way surprises us. Well, if this was an action taken from Pope Francis, taken by Pope Francis, then let's follow Pope Francis' guidance. Theodore, is it Mani, Maine, or I'm the one that that quote refer, uh, pertains to? Theodore, go to Pope Francis, please, and ask him to repeat to you in person the words that I just read. Because Theodore, everybody, you all might want to you all might want to respond to Theodore here. You are not the pro-life movement. Let me just take a minute and just laugh from the depths of my being. You are not the pro-life movement. 30 years. 30 years. Four or five trips a week. building the pro-life movement, rubbing shoulders with the pro-life movement, sleeping in the homes of activists, praying in their churches, praying side by side with them at abortion facilities, eating at pro-life banquets, leading marches, having strategy seminars, sitting down in front of cameras and doing interviews, meeting with those that have had abortions, taking tours through pregnancy centers, speaking to legislative assemblies, meeting one-on-one -on -one with pro-life legislators, meeting one-on-one -on -one with pro-abortion legislators, bringing leaders together. We will bring together at our headquarters of Priests for Life the national leaders of the pro-life movement, once again, as we have done countless times in the past, in February for a three-day strategy meeting. We conduct quarterly meetings of the national pro-life leaders in Washington, D.C., so that we can get to know each other and spend the whole day together and hammer out the differences that different groups have and figure out the ways of collaboration. And we've been doing this for 30 years. You are not the pro-life movement. Theodore, do you really think you need to say that to me? Are you really so disconnected from who I am and from what this ministry, are you really, really? I mean, is this a, am I dreaming here? Is this a joke? Is this a practical joke of some kind? I mean, what in the world? Friends, you see, this is just another example. This, this is another example of the kind of, of garbage that we have to deal with when, when it comes to this stuff. You know how I, what I did when I found out about this? 
I want to tell you how I reacted because an interviewer uh, asked me this today. How did you react when you found out the Vatican is throwing you out of the priesthood? I'm going to tell you exactly what I did. I was in the studio taping pro-life spots, standing up in the studio in front of the camera and taping one after another after another of these little informational, inspirational spots that I'm sure you've seen if you follow me on social media. And one of our staff members who was, who was not scheduled to be there, it was this was, this was a Saturday. This was Saturday a week uh, ago, a week ago this past Saturday, and uh, December 17th. And he comes in. I said, Father, I need to see you for a minute. So I step out of the studio into the hallway and said, we need to, we need to talk. The Vatican did something. Go check your, your text messages. Checked my text message. Saw the message from one of my associates about what, had, what he had just seen on the Catholic news agency. Prior to his text, the email had come in to me from the Catholic news agency. I read what what it said. I turned around. I went back into the studio and continued taping the spots for an hour. That reaction should not be interpreted as I didn't care about this. That reaction, my friend, should be interpreted in two ways, both true at the same time. Number one, that we've been dealing with this for 21 years. The first nine years or so of my Priest for Life work, most of that time we had Cardinal O'Connor with us who ordained me, gave me permission to do Priest for Life, and himself was one of the most uh, strong pro-life advocates in the church, convinced that this is the number one issue of the day. And he himself, a cardinal of the church, received all kinds of pushback and trouble from, from his brother bishops for the priority that he placed on abortion. But once he passed away in the year 2000, see, I'd become director in 93. Once he passed away in the year 2000, the trouble began to start. The pushback began to happen, and the uh, uh, handful of uh, church leaders who tried to block this work uh, started to act up. So 21 years, I mean, you get used to it. I could have told you exactly what was going to happen 10 years ago. In fact, I did tell some people. I can tell you what, what, what they'll try to do next too. Oh, I know, I know the script. The reason I can say that with such confidence is that this has been a one-sided script from the beginning. Read the story, judge for yourselves, and, and there'll be more that I'll be posting at frfrankpavone.com. Friends, read the story. Those that have tried to stop this work, and I'll explain to you why they tried to stop it, have had this script written from the beginning and have undertaken a decades-long pretense of protecting the church, enforcing the discipline of the church, 
making sure that everything's being done the right way. Didn't matter what we said. Didn't matter what we did. Deaf ears. I can show you example after example after example. Look at what I started tonight by talking about. Sia generoso, que sia generoso. What does that mean in Italian? That he would be generous. That's what the Vatican told this bishop who was in charge of taking care of, taking care of, that's a joke, taking care of me. Que sia generoso in giving you permission to do your pro-life work. You know what the bishop told me instead? After he received that communication from the Vatican? This is going back a decade now. I cannot restore permission to you to do your pro-life work. If you go to fatherfrankpavone.com and read through the history, you'll see the documentation. You'll see the you'll see the 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 letter from the email. You'll see the email from the bishop the letter from the bishop to me. You'll see the communication from the Vatican. Con completely contradictory. May I ask you then? If the Vatican said to him, be generous with Father Frank, let him do his work. And he said to me, I can't let you do your work. Who has a problem with disobedience? You tell me. Who has the problem with disobedience? The Vatican tells him, be generous. He tells me, no. I mean, those things are the same thing, right? Be generous. No, be generous. No, I think they're exactly the same thing. Oh, I know, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm a slow learner. I, 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 they're exactly the same thing. Okay, I, I got, it. I got, it. I got it. Let's move on. I got it. It's the same thing. No contradiction there, folks. No problem there. No, it's the same thing. I told Cardinal O'Connor when I first requested permission to do this work, I said, I don't care if we're, I don't care if we're called garbage men for life. And you see, this is, I'm just going to make this one more point, and then I'm going to go into some of these many good questions here that you, that you have. They don't understand a very simple fact about me. In the first years of my priesthood, I had already been involved in the pro-life movement for 20 years. In the first few years of my priesthood, I came to the conclusion. I came to a conviction. And, and you know, you know those moments in life, there are only a handful of them, only a handful of them uh, that we all that ever experience. I'm going to get to your question uh, there, Theodore. Oh, it is Theodore. Yeah. Hey, Theodore, didn't you, what are you, what are you uh, still doing here? I came to the conviction that I was called to do full-time pro-life work. You know, when you come to a conclusion, things in your life have been leading up to a certain point, and then you come to a conclusion that here's how it all makes sense, or here's the next thing I have to do. Now I know for sure. It was one of those now I know for sure moments. And the thing I knew for sure 
is that I had to devote myself full time to uh, meeting uh, to uh, I said meeting because I see Francie's nice message here. It was an honor for my daughter, Tara, and I to meet you in Temecula. I remember the Temecula visit. Thank you for your devotion to God and the unborn. Well, thank you, uh, Francie, very much. Um, the, uh, the conviction was so, so real. I knew what I had to do next. I mean, everything fit together. Everything was clear. I need to, I want to just, I want to devote. And, and this is the idea. This is the concept. It's really not difficult to understand. But for some, it's 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 horrendously difficult to accept. The concept simply is, I want to devote all my time and energy to defending the unborn from abortion. I mean, is that really so hard to understand? All, the word all, full time, no other activities, duties, involvements, responsibilities. I want my ministry and my mission and my focus from the morning, from the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I go to bed at night, not 300 days a year, not 364 days a year, but 365 days a year and 366 days every four years during leap year, I want to be devoted to working to protect the unborn and to end abortion. That was the conviction I got with crystal clarity in my heart and soul back in... Um, the beginning of 1993. That was that. That that was that was it. Now, has there ever been a day? Has there ever been an hour? Has there ever been a minute since then when the clarity of that conviction has dimmed the slightest amount? The answer is no. Has there ever been a moment when the enthusiasm has diminished, the zeal, the felt fervor that I had to devote myself to this work from that time, from that first day until now? Not a moment. Not a moment has that enthusiasm diminished. And the concept isn't hard. I want to devote all my time and energy to serving the unborn. And the only one request that I have had from the church, I don't want any titles. I don't want any uh, power in the church. I don't want any special positions. I don't want any money. Keep your money. I'm talking about from the church. Those of you that are donors to Priests for Life, you're supporting the ministry. But I haven't asked the dioceses, the bishops, the Vatican for, for one penny, not one penny. In fact, you know what I did with my salary from the days when I was a parish priest? I put it into Priest for Life once I got permission to be the director of it. I've just funded, I said, let's get down. We got to do the work. I just funded it myself right from the beginning. Used my personal savings. Used it up. Used it up. And then God began providing. You can't outdo God in generosity. And he began providing. People like you that came forward to um, to fund the work. But this is the thing about me that some do not understand. You watch my daily diary videos. When I say every moment, when I say every hour, when I say every ounce of energy, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fooling around. 
I'm not exaggerating. I'm not using a metaphor. Just watch the videos. And I say this because with this particular change, some people have said some things like, uh, oh, well, you know, maybe now you, maybe you're called to be married. If I were going to do something like that, why wouldn't I have accepted a parish assignment or an arrangement whereby I could devote half my time to defending the unborn? I mean, that kind of an investment of time You know when you say something is out of the picture, out of the question, it could not possibly be more far out of the question. The issue not being parish work, the issue not being marriage and children, the issue being what's the focus of my life? And I, and I said, priests for life, we are priests for life. Priests for life, much of the work I've been doing does not require priestly. You don't have to be a priest to sit in front of a camera and teach. You don't have to be a priest to know the Bible. You don't have to be a priest to understand priests, and I kind of understand them pretty well, being that I just lived through, let's see, 34 years of priestly life. I, I, I know. It's just like an overnight, you know, just like it's a minor thing. You come to know certain things, and you can share those things, and you inspire and network people, and you publish, and you write, and you counsel, and you talk to people, and you instruct them, and you help them understand. Those of you who might be watching who are priests or who are familiar with the area of canon law like Theodore is um, or who have there's some familiarity with the history of the church might recognize the name Cardinal Velasio de Paulis. This man since passed away a few years ago, but he was one of the, if not the most respected canonists in the church, expert in canon law. I was privileged to know him, met with him in Rome about Priests for Life and about the work that I was doing. Cardinal Velasio de Paulis, ask you if you have some friends who are, uh, you know, familiar with things like this, uh, and, and, and they'll tell you what a, what a respected name that is when it comes to um, canon law. You know what he said to me? He looked at the uh, the mission of Priests for Life. He looked at our documentation, our history, he listened to me. And here's what he said. This work is the work of the baptized. This work doesn't flow from the priesthood. You have to encourage priests to be more involved in it. Yes, he was fully supportive of that part of our mission, which is part of our mission. You have to encourage priests to be fully involved in it. He says, but the work you are describing 
and the work you are doing flows from the baptismal commitment of Christians. The baptismal commitment that says, I am consecrated to God. I have become by baptism a son, a daughter of God. I have to bear witness to the kingdom of God. I have to bear witness in the world to justice, truth, charity, and the service of God's people. This is an aspect of that. The truth about life, justice in defending the people's rights, and serving the most defenseless. This is the work of the baptism. Because part of the question we were we were we were uh, wrestling with, and we were getting Cardinal De Paoli's advice on, was this question of whether or not this ministry should become, um, if it were to become an official association within the church, an association, which, which is a, a, a special category under canon law, which is not, by the way, it's, it's, our ministry is not that. But if we were to apply for that, would it be under a clerical association that is consisting of and run by priests, or would it be under a lay association? Cardinal de Paulis actually recommended that Priests for Life would go under a lay association, would become a lay association. And the reason for that, again, is um, what specific function of the priesthood is required to defend babies from being killed, to uh, get the message out there that you don't kill babies. So you see the point. So, mo so m most of the work, the vast majority of the work, I mean, except for what, saying masses and, and uh, uh, hearing confessions, is, uh, uh, I mean, this is not a work where we're, you know, we're baptizing, marrying people, doing funerals. And this is, this is a, essentially a work of teaching, spreading the word, encouraging and strengthening the um, people who are doing the service uh, in the pregnancy centers and the healing after abortion and so forth. Um, one of the uh, questions was um, my involvement in the Trump campaign, and I'm looking forward to the to 2024 campaign very, uh, very intensely. We're going to be, continue to be unapologetic in our support for uh, President Trump. And we know people can have, I mean, we're going to have a primary. So obviously it's, you know, people are going to have different uh, ideas about who should be the next nominee. That's fine. We'll do the process. But brothers and sisters, the question is, well, was it a violation of canon law to have a position with the Trump campaign? Well, canon law says that priests are not to be involved in partisan politics because that's rooted in a teaching of the Second Vatican Council that the Lord Jesus did not give the church a political mission, but a religious one. In other words, we bear witness to the kingdom of God that has become incarnate in the world. We don't stand on the platform of the Republican or the Democrat Party or any of the other hundreds of parties that exist. We stand on the platform of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the church has a religious mission. 
church doesn't have a political mission. Do you know, Theodore, who one of the strongest articulators of that doctrine has been in the United States of America the last 30 years? You're looking at him. You're listening to him. Well, I'm not going to go that far because I don't think you are listening. But I have been one of the strongest articulators of that particular teaching of the church. Do you know what the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, and what the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what the canon law of the Catholic Church also say? That we, the church, in carrying out our witness to the kingdom of God and our religious mission, must pass moral judgment, even in matters relating to politics. Hold on there. What were those words? must pass moral judgment even in matters relating to politics, especially when the fundamental rights of human beings or the freedom of the church requires it. Now, here, here's, here's where some people's heads are going to start to spin. We're going to hear a rattling sound pretty soon. The bones are going to start twisting. The fundamental rights of man and the freedom of the church are under attack from the Democrat Party. The fundamental rights of humanity, the most fundamental right, the right to life. Joe Biden wants to codify Roe. Nancy Pelosi wants to codify Roe. They defend abortion using religious language. You know what that sounds like to me? Blasphemy. Oh, I'm sure Joe Biden has received a letter saying that uh, uh, he committed blasphemy when he said that it was it was good. This uh, pertains to human rights to have more and more abortion, even up till birth, even paid for by the taxpayers. We're Nancy Pelosi talking about this as something sacred. I'm sure she was accused of blasphemy by the leadership in the church. I'm sure. Right? You're sure too, right? Yeah. Blasphemy. Claiming that God blesses what he hates. So tell me, is it political when the church speaks up about this? Is it the church being political? Or is it the church being the church when we stand up and say what has to be said to pass moral judgment in matters relating to politics? Oh, but priests can't get involved in uh, campaigns. Oh, that's right. We, oh my goodness. There would be never be any justification if the freedom of the church is being attacked. Well, that's another thing the Democrats love to do. Just read up on it. Or a slaughter, a Holocaust is being funded by them. God forbid that a priest should be so political that he actually tries to put a show Catholics how to put a stop to this. It, it's really, it's not rocket science, friends. You want to stop the slaughter of the babies, you got to pass laws and have court decisions that are going to stop it. To pass laws and have court decisions that are going to stop it, you got to elect people to the presidency, to the Senate, and to all kinds of other positions in government who are willing to do that. And if voters are going to know that they're willing to do that, you have to tell them, you have to show support for those people. Guess what? Can a law says in the very same canon where it says that priests 
shouldn't be having political positions, it says there's an exception to that. When the fundamental rights, where have we heard this before? Where the fundamental rights of people or the freedom of the church or the good of the church requires it. Wow. You mean there can be an exception to that? Some of you were asking before, you know, do you have attorneys or you should get attorneys? <laughs> Again, I got to laugh. 21 years of attorneys. We have a whole team in the United States and in Rome. We have some of the top people in the church. I told you, Cardinal, Cardinal De Pauli, it wasn't that he was our attorney, but we consult with dozens of people like him. But we have a whole team of attorneys, and we have had them from the beginning. 21 years we're talking about. Again, it's so easy for people to think that they know what's going on here. So using that team of attorneys, I asked for the permission that that part of canon law provides. Because I said, and I've said this in open letters to the bishops more than once, I said the situation we find ourselves in now is a situation that falls into that category, that the fundamental rights of humanity are at stake. The freedom of the church is at stake. We've got to wake up. Was that permission given? I'm still waiting. But the argument is clear. So I had a title in the Trump campaign, and the Vatican said, oh, you can't be on that committee. Well, guess who cooperated with their request? I don't know. It was a guy oh, he leads this big organization of priests. His first name begins with an F. I'm trying to think it now. Think about it. It'll come to me. And he cooperated with the, what the Vatican said. And then the Trump campaign cooperated too, because they have great respect for the for the church. And um, so I said, okay, I can't have this title. I asked for permission, but I can't have this title in the uh, campaign. Okay. Trump campaign agreed. This priest who his name begin begins with an F. I can't think of it now. Now he cooperated, and then. The Vatican was falling. Oh, I never saw a group of men falling over themselves with gratitude and joy. I said, enough already. This is too this is excessive. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father Frank, for cooperating in this particular way. Oh, they were overjoyed. I hope some of them are watching this. They'll remember Dan probably dancing on their desks. A few months later, they weren't dancing anymore. They were mad at me again. You know why? Because I was speaking up about what was going on in our country and making it clear that the best way forward was with President Trump. So you see, because they were mad again, it wasn't about the canon law, Theodore. It wasn't about the canon. It wasn't about being on the committee. It wasn't about having a title. It wasn't about priests being involved in partisan politics. Because they were still mad. 
after they had fallen over themselves with joy that I had cooperated with what they said, then they turned back on me. Why? Oh, because he's still talking about this. Ah, so you're not, the canon law doesn't say you muzzle a person's mouth so that you can't hear what they're saying anymore. Canon law doesn't talk about that. Oh my goodness, this, 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 you know. Now the, the true colors come out, don't they? When we remain faithful to what has to be said and done. What was that little thing that happened on June the 24th? Some of you are mentioning it in the comments. What's that little thing that happened in pro-life history on June the 24th? The overturning of Roe versus Wade. Does anybody think that that would have happened if enough people didn't advocate for the election and achieve the election of Donald J. Trump? So I want to say to all of those who now criticize me, who will criticize me for my ongoing support of President Trump, and who did criticize me, I want to say to the Theodores of the world, I want to say to the people in the Vatican, I want to say to people everywhere, don't you dare celebrate the reversal of Roe v. Wade without thanking President Trump. Don't you dare even utter a word about how great that was. Don't you dare say a word about how wonderful it is without giving thanks, deep, sincere gratitude to a man named Donald J. Trump. Because he said in the course of the campaign, he said in October of 2016, if I get to a point, he was asked, do you want to reverse Roe v. Wade? And he said, this was his answer. He said, if I get to a point two or three justices to the Supreme Court, the reversal of Roe v. Wade will happen automatically. Why? Because he knew the kind of justices that he would appoint, and so did we, because he told us. He gave us a list, and he said, these are men and women who respect the Constitution, and they don't respect, they don't respect inventing rights out of thin air, uh, which is what Roe v. Wade did. Okay. The best priests I've known on YouTube, and I'm not even Catholic. I like Frank Pavone. Alfred Priestley Jr., thank you for that. So many, so much, you know, this movement is interdenominational. And in fact, it's more, more broad even than interdenominational. Interdenominational or ecumenical is sometimes called, mean, refers to within the Christian world, but we even deal with the interreligious world, people who are of different faiths, our Jewish brothers and sisters, for example, Muslim and so forth. Um, and uh, even with the atheists, I get more support from the pro-life atheists than I do from some, for some, from some bishops. Um, Manuel Otero, thank you. A priest is not obligated to follow evil or unscriptural orders. Yeah, in fact, all of us are in the same boat with that. Not only are we not obligated to fulfill such an order, we're obligated to resist it, if in fact it is uh, something evil. Let me just scroll down through some of these uh, comments. 
Uh, let's see. So, Father, are all pro-life people going to be excommunicated now? Um, I'll tell you what, What you know, see, what, one of the things that happens with this, um, and, and a lot of people are speculating, you know, exactly how and why did this happen and so forth. And like I said, I do not have in my possession any kind of a letter or a piece of paper or email. But, by the way, not just me. Most of the communication on these matters goes to my canonical team, which, like I said before, to those who were saying, oh, you know, you should get a lawyer. Yeah, we've had teams of lawyers for 21 years, both here in the United States and also in Rome. Um, none of them have gotten a communication either. I don't know. Kind of weird. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Another person saying, I am not Catholic. God chooses his servants. He rewards them. God said, do not murder. You are echoing his commandment. God bless you. Yeah, you know, isn't it amazing how we, we that work in the pro-life movement are sometimes told, oh, you guys are doing, you guys are involved in really difficult work. It's not difficult work. To go around and saying, if I ever thought that my life and ministry would be to go around trying to convince people you don't kill babies, I mean, could you imagine? Uh, you know, I don't know. Jesse is asking, Father, what if the Vatican or any bishop in some diocese prohibits lay people from supporting your ministry for whatever reason? I don't want to stop supporting you. Uh, you are free to support this work. Um, it kind of goes along with that previous question. You are the ones who judge where your hard-earned money is going to go. Because you look at the work itself, you see what's bearing fruit, and you give to it. The people that give to our work want to see the things that we say and the work that we do being accomplished in their own parish and diocese, and often are not. They're not seeing that. They're not seeing that happen. And so they go, scripture says, give the money to those who are doing the work. Uh, and so um, that is something that you are free to do. Um, you have saved babies' lives. You have healed the souls of women who have had abortions. All priests should be doing this work. Absolutely. Part of this work that so many of you support. I mean, we are literally overseeing the world's largest ministry for healing after abortion. Thousands thousands of retreats where people encounter the word of God and the grace of the sacraments. And they thank us. They couldn't save the life of their baby. Nobody could. But they thank us for saving theirs. Um... Debbie is asking, how is your family handling all of this? Well, my parents are advanced in age. My mom is 88 and my dad is 90. My dad has been in the hospital this week, uh, but uh, not good, not good. Um, it's uh, because, first of all, how do you even... I mean, how do you even explain something? This is the main thing that people is tr trying to figure out is how do you even explain something like this? I I, uh, I don't know. 
Nintendo fan. I am pro-life. I've always been. I can't believe they basically fired you from the priesthood because you are devoted to pro-life. And they'll say, oh, it's because you're disobedient and blasphemous. Okay. Did you notice something about that accusation? How they didn't specify what, what the disobedience was, what the blasphemy was? They didn't specify it to me either. Although over the years, they've said various things. But let me talk to you for a moment about the obedience. So every assignment I've been given by the various bishops I've been, I've been uh, connected to under their authority, I have accepted and fulfilled. So it started with my ordination. Cardinal O'Connor assigned me to St. Charles Parish in Staten Island. I accepted the assignment. Like I told you before at the outset, brothers and sisters, most of you know this about me. I'm an open book. I'll answer your questions, answer Theodore's question, answer your questions, any questions. St. Charles Parish, 1988, assignment accepted. Then I went to Cardinal O'Connor, asked for permission. Now, talk about obedience. If a person just wants to do his own thing. Oh, I, if, I, if I said, oh, you know what? I just want to do pro-life work. I don't care what the bishop thinks. I don't care what the church thinks. Well, then I could have, you know, from my position in the parish said, uh, okay, um, bye, everybody. I'm going off to do my own thing. I'm going off to do pro-life work. I could have walked away and just started doing pro-life work. What did I do instead? Oh, I went to the, oh, the bishop. Yeah, I went to Cardinal O'Connor to seek permission, and uh, and he gave me he gave me permission, and I started doing the pro-life work full time. So assignment requested and accepted. National Director of Priest for Life, starting in 1993. Cardinal O'Connor died. Cardinal Egan came along. He wanted me to do parish work. There was a big uproar from the people. But ultimately, he assigned me to St. Rock's Parish in Staten Island and asked the people of St. Rock's. I accepted the assignment. I was saying mass there, preaching to them. I accepted the assignment. So third assignment, received, obeyed, accepted. Then came the invitation from Bishop Yanta of Amarillo to come there. And the Vatican permitted that transfer. And he gave me an assignment connected with the pro-life office of the Amarillo Diocese with permission to do priest for life work. Assignment received and accepted. Then his successor comes along. Well, that was in 2005. Then his successor comes along in 2008 and doesn't give me an assignment. Now, 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 get this, friends. So, so people say, oh, well, you know, they, well, Father Frank has been uh, uh, persistently disobedient. Uh, yeah, right. So how can you obey an order that you haven't received? How can you disobey an order that you haven't received? Which one is easier, to obey it or disobey it? He didn't give me an assignment. He knew I was doing my work with Priests for Life. But I, got, I didn't get a letter saying, go do this work. Nor did I get a letter saying, go serve in this parish. Yeah, I mean, no, no assignment. Until three years later in 2011, when he said, come back to the diocese and I want you to be a chaplain at the Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask the Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer town in the Diocese of Emerald. Go ahead, ask them. I mean, they're not in hiding. They're, they're a public group of sisters. Ask them if I accepted that assignment and how I carried it out, by the way. Ask them how I did. Oh, you'll get an earful. I accepted that assignment too. That was 2011. 
you notice the pattern here of persistent disobedience, right? And then, let's see what happened after that. Oh, yeah, though, then after I had my time there, and the Vatican, by the way, intervened and told me I could do my work. That was when they told the bishop to be generous, and he said no. And then after that, he didn't give me any assignment. No assignment. So, I mean, of course, you know, again, is it easier to obey an assignment that you, an order that you didn't get? Or to disobey an order that you didn't get. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious here, but you get the point. <sighs> John is saying people may judge us, but they don't have any right to judge over our spirit and faith. And yeah, John, that's the and that's the point I was making earlier that you know some of these people they pretend to see into your heart. One of those arrogant people, uh, a Catholic author said. Uh, Oh, don't think that this is about pro-life. This is not about father, uh, commitment to pro-life. Oh, really? What, what, what authority does somebody have to say uh, to say that to uh, to me? I miss Mother Angelica. Lori says passed in 2016 when she spoke the truth. She was persecuted too by clergy. You know, I knew her well. And uh, as did my team, and we have um, had we had many many conversations, Mother Angelica and I, about all of uh, about all of this. Elizabeth Valenzuela, there are thousands of babies that weren't aborted thanks to your work. God bless you. Uh, yes, indeed, it is so so marvelous to give thanks to the Lord for the. Um, lives that were saved. Sheila is saying, thank you, Father, for being you and making me realize I still have faith. You are in my prayers. Well, thank you very much. That is great. Gary says, keep following what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Keep up the good fight. And you know how the Holy Spirit um, tells me uh, those things? Through you, through all of you. When you say things like, keep up the good work, keep it up, Father, keep doing it. Don't stop. I hear the voice of the Lord in uh, the voices of all of you. Uh, let's see. If the petition doesn't stand for life, is there anything else that uh, they can stand for? No. Everything else collapses. Um, once a priest, always a priest. You know, that's something that, that a lot of people have been saying. And, of course, that's Catholic doctrine. It's like once you're baptized, you're always baptized. Uh, you might stop living the, the 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 vows of your baptism, but you, there's a change that takes place in the soul uh, from cer from certain of these sacraments, like baptism. Like you can only be baptized once. Confirmation, same thing. You can only receive it once. Ordination makes a permanent change, and uh, that's where that phrase comes from. To us, sacerdos in eternum, you are um, a priest forever. Now, that doesn't mean that. Um, the functioning that you do as a priest isn't regulated by church law. It is. And so you saw in my uh, video the other night uh, how, um, you know, we we follow that. I mean, this is, this is under the authority of the church that you function as a priest. So you always have to follow what is being said there that, that you uh, either you can or you can't. If they say you can't, then you can't. Um, but that's priestly functions. That's priestly functions. That's not what you say in freedom of speech. That's not what you advocate for. That's not the work you do. That's not 
the social media you put out there. That's not the people you uh, associate with. It's, it's not the work you do, uh, like I was describing before, most of which doesn't require uh, priestly uh, faculties and so forth. Do you still, oh, thanks. Kristen is asking, do you still have health insurance? Yes. No diocese was providing my salary. No uh, diocese was providing me health insurance. Uh, all of this comes through Priests for Life. Um, all of this comes through Priests for Life. And uh, uh, that is um, where I have my, my health insurance from. Uh, get a small salary, uh, 14, one, four, 14,000 per uh, year. Um, really don't need anything more than that. I'm constantly, like I said, on the road speaking and they fly me out, they fly me in, they fly me out, they take me around, they feed me. What do I need? What else do I need? This, when I said before, this work is my life. Um, it's literally the case. Um, Oh, Kathy, I'll oh, thank you for that. Father, you don't have to prove yourself. Just preach the gospel like you always do. We love you. That's exactly what exactly what uh, I'm going to do. Preaching, you know, we all we can all preach the gospel. Again, I'm not talking about a priestly function. I'm not going to do the priestly functions if they're prohibiting it. Uh, but I'm going to get the word out. You can be sure in every possible way. Um, I'm going to get that word out together with you. Um, Elaine, I am a Protestant pastor. I admire what you are doing. God bless you. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Elaine. Thank you for your pastoral ministry as well. All right. So um, let's see what else we may want to answer here. A blessing in disguise. Yes, indeed. I so appreciate the Silent No More program, Laura is saying. You see, that's another, um, that's another wonderful thing. The Silent No More campaign. We're giving these, not just the moms, but the dads, the grandparents, siblings, former abortionists, we're giving them the opportunity to share their stories and to um, uh, uh, be out there. And, and by sharing their stories, they're saying to those that might have an abortion, don't do that. They're saying to those who have had abortions and are locked in secret shame, there's hope. There's hope for you. And they're saying to those who have other sins, maybe they have nothing to do with abortion. They're saying there's hope for you as well. Come back to the Lord and to the church. Joseph is asking, Father Frank, have any pro-life politicians contacted you? Oh, yes, they certainly have. And we, uh, we have a lot of friends in um, the Congress. We have friends in other places. And yes, Pro-life members of Congress have been reaching out to me once they heard this news. They think it's a, that's a, it's a, they think it's a, a travesty, and they're very concerned about uh, about the whole thing. So, um, all right, well, friends, brothers and sisters, um, well, Seamus, I wish I could share that sentiment that uh, you know he took the collar off, stopped calling him father, you know. Trust that the authorities of the church will do right by him. Twenty-one years, like I said before, of battle. Twenty-one years of abuse. 
21 years of having authorities lie to me, 21 years of having authorities lie about me, 21 years of having authorities uh, shift the goalposts. Now, there have been times in the, in the course of this story, and you read it, and I really need you, Seamus, to read every word of it, read every link at frfrankpavone.com. Read the whole story and see, see if, and try to put yourself in the position of someone who's living through this day by day, hour by hour. And then just ask yourself the question, what conclusion would I come to and how much trust would I have? Um, to, to, to give it, check it out. Give it, give it a chance. See what you see, what conclusion you come to. But there have been times along this story that the church authorities have strongly backed me up. I told you already. The Vatican itself backed me up against uh, and declared the actions of certain bishops against me to be null and void and lacking in authority and overstepping their bounds. So is this, it's not just a, them against me. It's them divided among themselves. Sometimes they've been on my side, sometimes not. So it's an interesting story. But as far as people calling me father, you know, there are certain things that I'm not um, permitted to do. Oh, Abigail, love your enemies. Yeah, we love our enemies. We love our enemies. Read the story, though. Read the story. Those of you who are married, especially if you've been married 34 years or more, somebody comes abruptly to you tomorrow and tells you you're not married anymore. How long is it going to take you to take off your ring and stop calling your spouse or revert, in, in case of a wife, revert to your maiden name? How, 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 how many days will it take to make that, uh, make that change? Enough with the legalism. We follow the law. But one of the things you'll see about this story, and it's a, it's a, it's really a problem in our church. It's a, been a problem with this process, at least. You, somebody said to me before, oh well, you know, you uh, should have, you know, attorneys, and <laughs> yeah, we had them coming out of our ears. We have them, but that's also part of the issue here. You try to relate to people on a human level. Like what Pope Francis was saying in that quote, come and see, spend time, accompaniment, spend time with, listen to the stories, rub shoulders with people, get to know them. There's a human element involved in this. There's relationships that are built up. There's identities that are, that are crafted. There's people whose lives are saved, whose lives are transformed. You know the reason they call us Father? Because we give life. Just, we give life. People who are dead in their sins come back to life through the ministry of the Father, their priest. People who didn't believe or come to faith because of the preaching of that father, the priest. 
People are filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they're anointed by that Father, the priest. The people are, are, are weighed down by sorrow. And now they're lifted up again and consoled by the anointed words of their spiritual Father. You think people can just walk away from that? Oh, yeah, well, he changed my life, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to call him father anymore. I'm not saying that I'm not going to cooperate and obey what the, the church has done here. Of course I'm going to follow that. I made that clear the other night. But be careful, friends. And some of these comments, oh, stop calling him father. Take a moment to, to consider the human dynamics going on here, the spiritual dynamics. I, I can't tell you how many, I haven't been saying this, but I can tell you how many people have been saying, well, you can see it for yourself and check out on my social media. I will always call you father. You will always be father to me. Why are they saying that? They're saying that because they, they want to disobey the church authority? Of course not. That's not why they're saying that. They're saying that because they've been brought to life. And that's the life of the spirit within them and the life of their pro-life commitment and their life of the understanding of the faith or their life of joy at being healed and forgiven and reconciled with God through the ministry of the priest. Their life has been impacted. Their life has been increased. Oh, but I'm not going to call you father anymore. Just a, sure, just legalistically, sure, just you know, issue a piece of paper, turn around, go the other way, and, and that's it. That's it. Simple as that. It's not simple as that. So let's be thoughtful and careful about what we uh, are saying here. Michael is asking, I appreciate your great work for life, not judging, but is this due to your overt support for Trump? You took an oath to represent Jesus, not Trump. And that's exactly why I support Trump, because of my commitment to Jesus Christ. Like we were saying before, we, we maybe you might not have been here earlier in the program, went into this in some, in some detail. I'm not saying that you're among the people in our country, but there are a good number of people in our country who literally um, have a disease, uh, the Trump derangement syndrome. And one of the things they say, one of the symptoms of that disease is that people say, uh, oh, well, you guys can't, you know, have Trump as an idol. You know, it's uh, idol worship. It's a cult of personality and so forth. Again, I don't know. I, I'm not talking to you personally here. But there are people out there we all know, right? I got to wonder... How many speeches of President Trump have they listened to? How many Trump rallies have they taken the time to sit down without distraction and focus on and watch from beginning to end? In every single one of those rallies. Every single one. He proclaims from the rooftops that we worship God not government. We worship God, not government. And you know what else he says? This is not about me. It's about us. It's a movement. It is. It's a movement 
It's America. It's the gift that God gave us in a nation whose founding documents, well, you don't get any better than what we've got in our founding documents. You don't get any better than all are created equal. All are given inalienable rights from God. Government exists to secure those rights. Government gets its authority from where? The consent of the governed. So yes, proclamation of Jesus, worship of him alone, loyalty to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is quite compatible with vigorously getting behind a leader who upholds those very same things. Those very same things. You know, President Trump worships Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I know the pastors that minister to him personally. He worships Jesus Christ. He's, he's said it publicly. Oh, friends. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. There, we, there is a um, website that we set up, helpfrfrank.com. It contains some positive suggestions, and, and all this is done in a, in a positive um, uh, spirit, helpfrfrank.com. And it is a place where you'll find a few suggestions of the ways that we can move forward together here. But the main thing really is just very simple. We stick together ourselves. Because ultimately, this is about, just like I was just saying that President Trump says, this is about us, not me. This is about you standing up in your own profession. If you are a teacher who said something to uh, your class about pro-life and got in trouble, if you're a school counselor that tried to counsel someone against abortion and got fired because of that, a police officer who uh, helped out uh, pro-life people maybe in a way that, that wasn't uh, uh, appreciated by your superiors and you got into trouble for that, a doctor or a nurse who refused to participate in an abortion and you got fired for that, whatever it might be, you know, we're under attack in every profession. And one of the lessons of, of this current situation we're talking about tonight is no profession is exempt from this cancel culture, uh, not even the priesthood. And it is, brothers and sisters, a severe problem that requires immense courage. And it requires immense unity among us. It requires immense unity among us to support one another. Whether you're being deprived of your position, your title, or your job in the medical profession, in the education professions, in the legal or law enforcement profession, whatever your profession, you face the same cancel culture as the rest of us. We're all in this together. And that's why we are talking about it and talking about how, talking about what I hope is coming across, the spirit, the spirit um, with which we have to confront this thing. It's got to be a spirit of absolute conviction just like I explained to you earlier, I have absolute conviction of my being called to full-time pro-life work, just as I've never had a moment's doubt about my call to the priesthood. We got to face this with absolute courage, 
absolute confidence in the Lord and in the rightness of our position and in his power, as we read in scripture, to make all things work for the good of those he has called. We go forward with absolute unity with one another and the absolute willingness to sacrifice because ultimately you know what we're called to do for the unborn and i'll conclude with this thought ultimately what we are called to do for the unborn is not just speak for them not just march and vote and lobby and pray and all those other things that we do for them we do do those things but you know what scripture says we're ultimately called to do for the unborn and for one another it says this it says this is love god sacrificed his only son gave himself up for us all laid down his life for us so we must lay down our lives for one another enough of those who say we're putting too much emphasis on abortion enough we don't want to hear it anymore there's no such thing as too much emphasis on abortion because if people think that they've missed the whole core we are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters we are to lay down our lives the unborn let's do it lord we thank you for bringing us together here tonight to speak honestly and openly and straightforwardly and we thank you lord for the commitment that that you have placed in our hearts in the hearts of all the people who are with us here we thank you for that we thank you for the joy that comes from doing your will following your way following your word we thank you for the joy that comes from serving the least among us. Lord, enable us to do it with perseverance, with confidence, and with the peace and joy that come only from you and that no one can take away from us. We pray with the greatest of faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks, friends. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. And remember, the Christmas season continues. We'll continue celebrating the welcoming of Christ in whom we welcome every unborn child. Oh, one more thing. Somebody asked, well, what happens with the missionaries of the gospel of life? They are there. Missionaries of the gospel of life.org. That is our spirituality training program. Seeing pro-life as a spirituality. Check it out. Missionaries of the Gospel of Life.org. Have a good night, everybody. We will talk with you tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.